Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Y mira, 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 mira ahora. Mira el pique de Miquel Arteta que se vuelve loco contra el banquillo de Jürgen Klopp. Bueno, esto... Esto no lo habíamos visto nunca, pero, este enfrentamiento entre Arteta y Klopp. Pero Arteta está encendidísimo, ¿eh? ¡Oh, mía! Pero sigue un poquito el trash talking, ¿eh? This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gutter Vlog. James, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. How you doing? I'm all right, thanks. I'm okay. Bit of a, bit of a disappointing weekend, has to be said. Yeah, I was hoping they'd keep Solskjaer in a job too. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> sometimes results don't go your way. Uh, I, have, I have to say I am a bit uh, upset by that, to be honest, because he is um, somebody I've always really disliked. I don't buy his angel face, baby face kind of look at me, I'm a nice guy thing. Mm. I don't. I don't buy it. I don't. I don't buy into that at all. So I I really wanted him to stay in a job where it just was never going to go well for him as a kind of purgatory for the rest of his days. And obviously there were benefits for us as well. But there you go. These things happen. Yeah, he's beloved by that by United fans. I mean, I get uh, that. Like, I understand that. I, I, I obviously am not Amant? I am not. <laughs> I am. I amant one. I no, no, one. nor I. I. I don't see it. In fact, I've been sort of surprised by the degree to which he's loved. If you see what I mean, like Where? there's been this yeah. big outpouring of affection. Although I guess it's like when somebody dies to an extent. <laughs> yeah, the old I mean? like. Yeah, it's the old like. Like Arsene Wenger says in the documentary. Yeah, it's this kind of thing. You know, the don't speak ill of the dead sort of thing. Even if someone was like a dreadful bastard their whole lives, you know, and at the funeral at the wake or whatever it is, people are standing around going, ah, he wasn't, a, he wasn't that bad, really, was he? And actually, he was. He was a prick his whole life. But uh, there you go. Yeah, it's it's a bit like that. It all felt a bit performative or something, this this sort of outpouring of sympathy. Poor guy. Poor, you got to feel sorry for him. No, I don't feel sorry for him at all. I feel sorry for us. I feel sorry for football that, that he's been sacked. But there you go. Yeah, a real shame. Uh, listen... I think we can just hope that Michael Carrick uh, goes on a decent run at some point after we've played them and lands himself with a three-year contract or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Rio Ferdinand. Rio Ferdinand bigging him up on BT Sport. Mickey C's at the wheel! Or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> please, please. But not until after 
what is it, December 2nd when we play them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's that's a little way in the future and we've got to talk about the past. That's why we're here. We're here to talk about what happened at the weekend. Arsenal uh, went to Anfield um, uh, and lost. And lost convincingly, unfortunately. Handsome. <laughs> we lost a handsome. handsome 4-0 defeat. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, I have to say I'm I'm slightly... How do I feel about this? Like there's a logical part of me and an emotional part of me. Mm. And the logical part of me is understanding of the fact that we lost to one of the best teams in Europe right now, one of the best teams in the world and have been for quite some time. The emotional part of me is unhappy that we lost in the manner in which we lost. And I think we had said... um, Maybe last week, what we want to see when Arsenal go to Anfield is is a team that's competitive, that doesn't get turned over, that even if you lose, you give a good account of yourselves. And I find it hard to take a 4-0 scoreline and, and take away those slight positive vibes we might have got from that kind of performance, while at the same time acknowledging that I thought the first half wasn't that bad and at times was quite decent from an Arsenal perspective. So I'm uh, I'm a bit all over the place with this one. Okay, well, that's that's all right. That's what we're here to talk yeah. about. We'll, we'll I said that like a counsellor. Um, Hang on, I'm just going to lie down here. <laughs> Get on the, arse, on the arse, Arsenal couch uh, and we'll wrestle through this. I mean, I feel responsible because when we were talking about the game last week, mm. I remember saying it would be great if we were in it at half-time, you know? Mm. And I forgot. I forgot about the second half. Um, in it at full time would have been a more sensible thing to ask for. Um, I knew where you but, were coming from, though, because, you know, sometimes you can get blown away in the opening stages of yeah, these games that, and then the second half is just redundant anyway. The problem is I sort of got my wish, you know, we were mm. in it at halftime. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. it, it all kind of went wrong. I mean, I, I, I feel okay about it. I, that probably won't surprise anybody, but... Um, I'm sort of a, well, I think I'm able to see it for what it is, even if I did not like losing, Mm. and certainly by that scoreline. I have to say, I was very nervous going into the game. I felt on edge. I felt nervous, yeah. That's what, I mean, maybe I'm just stupid, but I I felt like cautiously, optimistic is maybe too strong, but cautiously not as pessimistic as I thought I was going to be. Well, I think the nerves may have been born of optimism. Do you know what I mean? Like, I thought, ooh, I was excited, maybe, to see what we might do or produce. And and, listen... We'll, we'll talk about the lineup in a moment, but when the game started, I have I have to be honest and say I was feeling pretty good for half an hour. Hmm. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like- uh, and yeah, and and so yeah, it, it is quite the collapse. I ha- I watched it again Ooh, yesterday. Because, for punishment. Yeah. Well, because it was so emphatic the second half. Hmm. I was like, I need to try and understand some of what happened there. And I've got some ideas. Okay. But let's go back to the beginning. What did you think of him keeping, not the same team, but the same team that played at, at Leicester? So. I thought there were a couple of decisions in terms of the team that, that, that he obviously had to think about. 
Thomas Partey was one. Um, yeah. Whether he was going to be fit enough to start or not, and I can understand why you would want Thomas Partey um, in the team from the start if he, if you can get him there. I, I think we've got some questions about him, so I'm going to park that particular discussion until part two because uh, we do have some questions about Partey. Um, then there was just Ode- on the fitness thing, yeah. by the way. Yeah. So I had heard a couple of days before the game that it looked very good for him. Mm. So I, I have to believe that for just from purely from a fitness perspective, they were making a an informed decision. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, the yeah, rustiness yeah. is a thing, but I think he was fit to play. Yeah, he was in training and, and what have you. And, yeah. you know, pre-game, I think he was trying to to obfuscate a little bit about, you know, who was going to be available and Loves who that, wasn't. It? He does. Loves that. It's then massively undercut cut by us putting out injury updates from the official website. It's like he doesn't know those are going on. Yeah. Don't tell Mikel <laughs> that we published the team news the day before his press conference. I know, I know. I mean, it's, yeah, look, it is what it is. He likes to do that. I don't know what benefit it really has to anybody. Um, you know, as I said on the preview podcast uh, with Lewis, I, I don't think Partey's inclusion or exclusion would make any difference whatsoever to Jurgen Klopp in terms of how he set his team up and, and what way he would want them to play. So it's not like you're, you know, going, aha, look, we've got him. And Jurgen Klopp all of a sudden is thrown into chaos and doesn't know what to do with the fact that Thomas Partey is there. But you said he was going to be out. I feel like mm. I've been... Tra- it's not like that. I don't don't think that's the case. Um, Lacazette and Odegaard was another decision I think he had to make. And the other very obvious one was Tierney or, or Tavares. Yeah, yeah. And that was, I think, the big... I think there was also a Sam B. Maitland-Niles decision, mm, potentially. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and Tavares Latini, I think, was sort of the maybe the biggest one in terms of the fact that you know ordinarily you would think of Tierney as one of the first names on the team sheet. Kind mm. of um, but well, Nuno had done very well. He had, but I, 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 I said before the game that I thought Tierney would start. Um, I, I felt before the game that Tierney should start. So it's not kept in hindsight to say no, this. No. I, I I agree that that Nuno has done well in the last couple of weeks. I just and I get the idea. You know what I mean? Where a player's come in, he's done well, and it might feel like some kind of a punishment for him to be left on the bench for the next game, even though he's done ostensibly nothing wrong. But I also feel like when you go to Anfield, when you're playing against Liverpool, when you're when you're going to be up against it, you pick your best team. And I think Kieran Tierney is our best left back. And I feel like that was a mistake. I'm not sure how much it would have had an impact on the overall game, to be honest. Uh, but maybe he doesn't make that mistake for the second goal. And I'm not being hugely critical of, of Nuno here. You know, he's a, he's an exciting player. He likes to try things. He, he drove the ball and then um, played a wonderful pass to Jota, to be fair. Um, but I, I just wonder if at that point in the game, if you've got Tierney on the field rather than Tavares, a young player in a very um, early stage in his development, I, I just felt a game like this was just a step too far for him at this point. Well, yeah, I think we both said um, we would have picked Tierney. Mm. And guess what? 
we were right this time for once. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, yeah, I, I, listen, I could understand it from both sides. With hindsight, it's it's kind of an easier decision, right? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I got it, and I was like, I was intrigued to see to see what we might do. Um, and yeah, uh, like I said, at the start, I was sort of vaguely encouraged by we were doing something quite interesting with our shape it occurred to me watching it again yesterday where Jamie Carragher kind of talked about it on commentary about Saka being on yeah. Van Dijk what, when Liverpool built it up we sort of sat in like a 4-3-3 Smith Rowe joined party and Maitland party and Laconga mm. and then Saka pushed right up high with Lacazette and Aubameyang and you know, I think it, it was just to kind of match them up in build-up and try and stop them playing out. I mean, I don't want to overblow how we started. It's not like we threatened to score on multiple occasions and they didn't have a chance. Mm. We, as I recall, I think Ramsdale still made a few saves in that first half hour. Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were there were signs that the the pressure was beginning to to mount on us simply because of the way Liverpool. Um, dominate possession I think what's so so impressive about them and I said this on the blog on Sunday is that like when they win the ball back they have it under control instantly and by that I mean they're organized they're not trying to make four or five passes to get it under control to get the ball down to get people in position like they get it back off you and they're ready to go straight away so it's a huge uh, thing to try and deal with I think when you're the, the the team defending against Liverpool trying to stay organized yourself trying to stay compact trying to keep the shape where I felt we had some issues was when we did have possession I felt like we were missing a man and when they had possession I felt like we were missing a man in midfield and that's why maybe I you know I would have played Odegaard rather than Lacazette Again, it's one of those I understand he he hit on something which has kind of worked. Uh, I think Lacazette has had a, a reasonably positive impact. But I just felt like in a game like this, if we could took an extra midfielder into that central area, it, it would have given us maybe somebody to deal with Thiago, dropping as deep as he did, picking up the ball and just spraying it around wherever he wanted. And when we had the ball, we just had that extra man, that that extra body in there to try and exert a little more control in central areas because pretty much for the whole game, we had none. We had none. And that meant we couldn't get the ball wide to Smith-Rowe and Saka as much as we would have liked. And our striker gets... Uh, limited service. I know there's probably going to be some questions about Aubameyang as well, but yeah, it's it's it was a problem. I think that lack of midfield control, and I I I think Odegaard in that position gives you more than Lacazette. Yeah, but I do think that I don't know how he would have coped with the way Liverpool were playing either. Genuinely, um, they were so focused on the centre of the pitch. I mean. You know, we will talk about party later, but in that middle part of mm. the pitch, there was four or five Liverpool players most of the time. Like the way they press, the way they work, all that energy, all that running, it can look chaotic, but it is organised within mm. an inch of its life and it is so targeted. They also tell you where your weaknesses are in terms of where they're prepared to let you have the ball and not. Like I found it really interesting. I think Nuno had more touches than any other Arsenal player 
because mm. they just would not let us play through the middle of the pitch. I think it was Nuno and Tommy Asu because they would not permit us to go centrally. And I, Lacazette, I thought I had a really difficult day and I just felt like, you know, he's, he's done well against Villa. He's done well to an extent against Leicester. I just felt that in Fabinho, he just came up against a player who was just better than him. Yeah, everything. Yeah, I agree. And I think Fabinho in that position is probably going to monster pretty much everybody you've got in there. I, I I think the point about the fullbacks having more touches is really interesting because at halftime, I don't know if you saw this when you picked it up again, when the teams were coming out, Arteta was in the tunnel giving some very specific in- instructions to Nuno and to Tommy Asu. Uh, oh, while really? the rest of the team was coming out, yeah, they they showed that on the on the TV. So um. yeah, it, it was kind of incredible. Um, it, it, yeah, listen, I, this isn't a Liverpool podcast, so I don't want to praise them too much, but it is it is astonishing how quickly they regain possession, mm. how much pressure they put you under in those areas, and there were times in the first half where we coped okay with that. There were a couple of moments where I. I remember us playing out from the back, you know, mm. the Conga playing a couple of one-twos and thinking, sort of being encouraged by the fact that even though it was difficult, we were still trying to play our game. I know maybe we did that too much later in the game, but I, I thought there was some courage in what we attempted uh, to do. Even in Ben White, you know, trying to dribble through the lines, mm. he got tackled and it led to a chance. But I was like, well, they're not afraid to play, at least. Yeah, I thought that was okay. I was fine with that. I know that that some of the stuff that that happened in the second half from our sloppiness in possession uh, created pressure and gave Liverpool some chances. But, you know, I don't think that's a huge... Like, I don't think that was as much down... uh, People have talked about the Liverpool press and how they press you and how they put pressure on you. I don't really think it was the Liverpool press that caused that sloppiness. I think it was... It was us. We were architects of our own misfortune in those positions because I think the players who made those errors are capable of much better than that, you know? Mm. Um, So you can say maybe it was Liverpool. I don't really think it was. I just think a little more concentration, being a bit too casual at times, and that's what caused the problem. So I had no real issue with us trying to play it out. And I I think if we're going to try and play and we want to see this team compete, we're going to have to try and play against these teams as well. Um, I think so. That's my overriding feeling about the game, actually, that, you know, I I think when Mikel Arteta looks back at it, um, I think there'll be enormous frustration at particularly the first two goals that Arsenal conceded. Uh, I know there were other chances in the game before that and the keeper made a few saves. Mm. But if you're going to go to Anfield and get anything, your keeper's going to make a few saves. Yeah. I think that's you know, that's a given. Uh, I do think that there was a sloppiness about the first two that were really yeah. um, great on the manager. Where do you stand on the kind of narrative of um, the touchline spat and that shifting the momentum of the game? Look, there's no question it, it 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 created some energy inside the stadium because that's what happens when things like that go on, whether it's two players or whether it's two managers or whatever it might be. When you have that kind of an incident, the home crowd are going to get absolutely behind their side of things, right? Personally, I really don't have any issue with Mikel Arteta taking exception to what he felt, clearly felt, was a bad foul from Mane. Now, it wasn't really. I watched it again. 
No. And he doesn't do anything but keep his eyes on the ball. Maybe he goes up with his arms, but it's one of those, when you're jumping, your arms go up. I'm not defending Mane in any way. I have a suspicion that... Arteta's reaction was based in, in in some small part over what happened with Kieran Tierney last year, last season, when, when Mane absolutely straight-armed him and should have been sent off in that game. Tommy Asu went down, and it did look as if Mane had caught him. So Arteta's reaction, I think, is one to protect his player, to go to bat for his player. I don't really have any problem with that at all. I, I think it's fine. Um in the circumstances, in the end, it turns out there wasn't that big of a foul for Mane, which is why I think Klopp got as wound up as he did. But even if the crowd were more vocal, even if there was a bit more um, energy inside the stadium, I don't think that explains or... or um, Yeah, it doesn't really explain how poorly we defended the, the set piece. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what... Like, if they'd ripped us open and scored a couple of quick goals, fine. But that's not what happened. And I think we were... You know, you can say, well, Liverpool were more up for it, but, like, we had to respond to that energy too. You know what I mean? So it's not... Yeah. There were signs before that happened that that Liverpool, Liverpool were beginning to turn the screw on us. They were beginning to find passes through midfield. Partey was bypassed a couple of times. Arteta went crazy on the sideline. Yeah, there was one, wasn't there? Yeah, you know, so it was beginning to happen anyway. You can look at it in hindsight and say, well, maybe Arteta shouldn't have done it. And maybe if Liverpool hadn't been so wound up, they would, They, you know, I I just think they're such a good team that, that, um, you know, the goals probably would have come at some point anyway. So I've, I've got no issue with it, really. No, I, I have to be honest and say I loved it in the moment. Yeah. Like I, I, I love a bit of that from my yeah. manager and my players, and I agree with you entirely that um, you know <laughs> the crowd did not influence how we defended that set piece. Mm. Um, I do think that Arteta may have been sucked in a bit by Klopp. I, I think if you watch the incident again, <laughs> Klopp is as much the instigator as anything else. Um, and I think that he, of all managers, who has a kind of uh, a demonstrative manner and a, a very clear relationship with the crowd and mm. a, a clear sense of trying to use the crowd to manipulate events on the pitch. I mean, Klopp's right up there as a kind of conductor in that respect. Yeah. I do wonder if he thought me getting involved here won't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm just watching it again here. He, like, he's looking over and then he's shouting at Arteta, what, what? And then he comes over himself and he like lets out a big blast of dragon air into the, the fourth official's face. Yeah. And, and He like, goes from zero to 100 it, very fast. Exactly. And like I get when people say you can't have one reaction without the other reaction, but it was Klopp who got the Liverpool crowd going, not Arteta. Yeah, and he yeah, could have done I, that at any point he wanted in the game with a wave of his arms or whatever it might be, or using any kind of incident. So, like, I, I think he was looking for the moment, and I think he found a moment, and and maybe it helped them. It's always hard to unpick that stuff, hmm. but um, I'm not going to have a pop at Arteta because how do I want him to respond to that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just uh, shrug his shoulders. And, yeah, I uh, mean, he get blasted for not responding. You know, you go, well, you're too too passive on the sideline, or when are people gonna when are people gonna stick up for each other? You like if you want to if you want to foster a sense of 
what's the word he keeps using? Unity. But if you want to mm. foster a sense of us against them as well, you, things like this happen in football. So I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, criticize Arteta for that. I mean, there are other things you can criticize him for, but not that. You know, it's it's um, it's something we're accused of is being too soft and too passive and we're too easy and we don't respond when you know we get a bit of a kicking or whatever so when we do or you know it's perceived that we've had a bit of a kicking and someone reacts we can't criticize for that no i agree but then what about um the goal itself then well i think it's a it's a clumsy kind of free kick to give away i think is it's, it a chasing back yeah it's not great i mean conceding from a set piece after we've worked that hard to stay in the game at Anfield on what 39 40 minutes um so yeah what what seems to I mean there was a lot of debate on Sky about the high line and mm. I have to be honest I'm not a set piece specialist I can't really comment on how it, the efficacy of that or not but having 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 set that high line, it seems to me that Partey doesn't go with Van Dyke basically when he runs off him, and it means Gabriel, who is on Mane at the time, has to come across because he thinks Van Dyke might get there, the near, slightly ahead of him, and it leaves mm. Mane spare behind him. That's and, and fair, then, yeah, yeah. And then Tomiyasu, I guess you could say, is uh, not holding a line. Like maybe Partey thinks they're holding a line. I don't know what's going on, but it's not it's not great. It's not great, no. Uh, and I think you're right to point out it looks bad for Gabriel, but I think you're right to point out he, he is kind of caught there when, when Van Dyke runs off uh, party. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Gabriel actually is sort of, if you look at these goals again, they don't look great for him, but a lot of the times it feels like he's trying to fix somebody else's mess. Mm. Um Maybe he should judge the flight of the ball better and stick with Mane or just stick with his man. But I, I can understand seeing Van Dyke's free in the box and thinking, I need to try and intervene with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Did you think the goalie should have saved it? I think it's one of those where because he gets something on it, you always feel like he should save it. But it's a powerful downward header from close range, quite close to him. I think I think weirdly that makes it a bit more difficult in yeah. some ways. Um and it's how down it is. I, I I think if he saves it we're going bloody out. It's another wonder save from Ramsdale. Yeah, I mean um, that's I mean if he saves that it's fucking it's Gordon Banks Pele territory. That kind of a save because he has to get down, get a hand on it, get it up. You know, I think he's yeah, he did plenty in the game and I wouldn't blame him at all for that goal. Maybe, you know, on the second goal but again, that's, that's yeah. a bit hard. I, I think if I had quibbles with his performance, I think he was obviously one of the only Arsenal players to emerge with credit from the game. But I think it would be more the handling... You know, his reactions are brilliant when mm. he parries stuff and he, he gets up to make the blocks. He did that like three or four times in the game. But sometimes you're like, if you hold it in that position, you probably don't need to do that. Mm. Um, but I think we are... I think that would be nitpicking because without him I think the scoreline yeah. would have been substantially worse let's talk about the second goal because clearly there's a big mistake by Nuno um, just before that mm. can I talk about this for the five minutes before that basically yeah because because Arsenal start the second half and like it's 1-0 but 
you know, there's reasons for encouragement from an Arsenal perspective. There's been a couple of breakaways where Saka's kind of like nearly found something on the edge of the box, but not quite. Mm. You know, we're, we're still in the game, crucially. And I say this honestly not to um, p- pick on a, a young player, but Sambi Lakonga mm. in the first five minutes of the second half has like a diabolical five minutes. Yeah. Like, it was like when Abue came on that time and had to get subbed off. Like he just completely um, went to pieces, and and I guess that can happen with a young player. Yeah, I, I I did wonder about that because I have to say I thought in the first half he had worked quite well with Nuno. Uh, yeah. I thought he looked calm and under. Um, some pressure when in possession, when we were trying to play it out from the back, I thought he looked pretty good. But in, you're right, that whatever happened to him after halftime, it just, I mean, it all went wrong. Yeah, and, and honestly, I, I detail this not to uh, string him up or mm. have a go at him or anything like that. But 48th minute, Arsenal actually started the half okay, right? So they went long from kickoff and they made some territory. And there was a moment where Smith Rowe came central and played a really nice through ball that almost found a Bamiang in on goal, but it was cut out. 48th minute, Sambi's on the edge of the box and he gives possession away. Sloppy ball. Mm. Keeper has a go at him. That's 48 minutes. 30 seconds later, we've got a throw in. Nuno gives it to him. He passes it straight out for a throw in. 49th minute, he gives it away again. Mm. Oxlade Chamberlain gets a shot. 50th minute, he plays a, a miscued back pass to Gabriel. They get a chance. There's another one 30 seconds later where he misses an interception. It's just it's just a player who just needs, I don't know, a timeout, needs something. And unfortunately, that sort of skittishness, I think, kind of infected Arsenal a little bit. And... He was actually going to come off even before the second goal, I think. They'd made that decision, yeah. He, he was, he just was not there. And it's really, I'm really empathetic to it. Like, it's a big game and you, you miscue a pass and then it's, you know, it's a nightmare scenario with yeah, Liverpool yeah. hounding you and on you. But I do think that, unfortunately, that put a big dent mm. in in our sort of foothold in the game. yeah. Yeah, it certainly contributed um, because it allowed Liverpool to build some pressure. Uh, and then we saw the mistake from from Nuno. Um, and I think the mistake that he made affected him too. Uh, yeah. he, he gave the ball away quite a bit. And I, I wonder if maybe the Partey situation was the reason why he didn't come off. I just wonder if at 2-0, maybe Tierney for Nuno might have been a pretty decent substitution I was to make. For that change. Yeah, yeah. I, I was yeah. looking for that as well. But on that on that second goal, I know that we're talking about Nuno and the the misplaced pass. It can happen. Young player, hopefully he learns from that. Ben White went to ground a little bit quickly. Um Ramsdale went to ground. Yeah. Got sat down. I think you need to look at Thomas Partey. Oh, okay. I don't know if you've got the goal or... I haven't can, spotted that. I can probably try and find it. T- tell me anyway while I have it. Well, look. basically, as the pass is played inside from Nuno, I think he's looking to play it to Partey. Jota picks up the ball, cuts inside, and, and Partey just kind of stops. He doesn't go with Jota 
maybe he mm. wouldn't have got there, but maybe just a bit of pressure might have helped. Um, and I didn't notice this until I watched it again because obviously you're looking at you're looking at the the, the mistake. You're looking at Ben White going to ground, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I do wonder if Partey could have done a bit more there. He just seemed to look at it and switch off. Well, again, I see. I actually think, yeah. I mean, listen, it's a really, it's Tavares's error. It's very, very yeah. clear on that. It's a bad pass. It's a shame because what he does before it is really good. He runs yeah. into the channel with uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, shoulders him off the ball, he's driving up the field. I do think when he tucks it inside, I do think both central midfielders are kind of on their heels a bit mm. um, and not really moving forward. And that's part of the issue. But... Um, I also have to say that it's a brilliant take from Jota. I mean, I think it's an impudent finish. Maybe it's made a bit too easy for him, but it takes real composure to do that. And uh, it reminded me a little bit, actually, of kind of, um, was it Mesut Ozil against Ludogorets, you know, like just sitting people down. A little but bit. Yeah. It's very easy looking for Jota. He just needs to come inside a couple of times. Um, That's true, but... I don't know how many players we've got who would do that. Yeah, no, that that you. is true. I'm not taking anything away from the goal itself, other than I, you know, I don't like it. Um, yeah, because it's happened <laughs> no, it against right. us, and, and I it's fifty first minute. Yeah, yeah, and it's like very difficult. The game then is is, mm. and then and then look, we made the sub. Maitland Niles came on, and I I did wonder if Tierney would come on for Tavares, but I think Partey's fitness issues, perhaps, and knowing that he wasn't going to get. Um, 90 minutes out of Lacazette and maybe needed to make a change to go for it or to try and um, mm. get something well, from you, the game. But I mean, they, prob- go on. they probably weren't planning to bring Lukonga off on 51 minutes. No. You know, it was just kind of a case of having to get him out of there. And um, suddenly three subs doesn't feel that many. When you've been sort of forced into one, it does limit your it's options. Al- almost like an injury sub, I guess. Um, yeah. So look, at 2-0... I mean, where? what were you looking for from Arsenal at 2-0? Because I suppose I was thinking, look, it is 2-0. Maybe we can try and go for it a little bit. Maybe, you know, we can bring on an uh, attacking player and, and see if we can create something. And I think there was a chance for Aubameyang, a really, really good pass from Lacazette um, into Aubameyang. I think Alisson made a good save, but I'm not sure the finish was particularly... Um, strong. It was felt a bit weak of an effort from Aubameyang. Yeah, it's not his best angle. Um, it's a good pass. That was clearly a planned thing. Like Lacazette dropped out to the right. He almost played that pass earlier in the half and it got cut out. Exactly mm. the same. So it's clearly something they were looking to do. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Alisson's very good in one-on-ones as well. I, it, I felt like, I thought that was a half chance, really. I mean, yeah, I think it's a, a difficult uh, finish with the ball mm. not having much pace on it, etc. Yeah, I, I, I think we've got a bit of a problem when we start Lacazette and Aubameyang in that we it feels like we don't have a good striker to bring on. Um, mm. I know what you and mean. I think I think that's an issue. Like I was kind of looking at it thinking like, well, where we're about to bring... I know we've got Pepe and maybe we'll come on to him as someone who's just not getting a kick at the present time. Um Mm. But, you know, when Lacazette comes off and Odegaard comes on, you kind of feel like you're taking goals out of the eleven. Yeah, even if Lacazette doesn't really score. 
Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so there, there, there is that element to it as well. Um, but I know exactly what you mean. You're taking a senior striker off and, and you're not even replacing like for like in a way because they're, they're different players. They're different kinds of players. So you're trying to play in a different way. Whether that makes you more or less potent is up for debate, you know? Um, but I think, again- I think if, if, if we had... The thing is, like, of course, we'd love to go after it. We'd love to chase the game. Funnily enough, I think if Arsenal... If that second goal is kind of um, the end of it and Arsenal lose 2-0, I think even that slightly changes the complexion and the tone Mm. of the result. I think those extra two goals were painful. And I think in some ways they were a consequence of Arsenal not quite knowing if they were going for the game or not. Because if you watch those last two goals, Mm. Tommy Asu, who... We talk about as kind of a defensive fullback or the, the third centre half almost yeah, in the system. Nowhere. He's very, very high on both goals. I, I, I think if we're going to talk about inexperience on the pitch, which I think was a factor in how this game went, we also maybe have to talk about inexperience on the sideline uh, and mm. maybe Mikel Arteta not managing the game quite as well as he could have from the sideline because, you know, 2-0, nobody wants to lose 2-0. Nobody wants to lose at all. But 2-0, I'm not going to say it's respectable, but 4-0 is very, very far from respectable. And it's sort of, it raises long-standing doubts, doesn't it? You know, if if you're saying before this game, we understand there's a gulf. We know there's a gap in quality. We know there's a gap in maturity. Liverpool are a, a better team than we are. Liverpool are a better team than most teams in the world right now. So we, we get that, but we want to measure ourselves. We want to measure our progress against them. And when you've gone there and been beaten 5-1 and 3-0 and 4-1, etc., etc., you want to see if you've made progress. And a 4-0 result or 4-0 scoreline even if you're looking for positives makes it very difficult to do that because it's it's the same it feels like the same and I just wonder if at 2-0 rather than saying okay we've got to go for it I mean he said we we lost um our compactness whatever it was you know we left spaces and if you leave spaces Liverpool punish you well you know maybe 60 minutes isn't the moment to to go hell for leather against Liverpool. Maybe you consolidate at 2-0, you stick in, you 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 keep it at 2-0 until there's sort of 10, 15 minutes to go. And then maybe you have a go. I, I don't know. It just felt like some of the experience that we talk about on the pitch was matched with, with the way the manager dealt with it off the pitch as well. I think it was both. I really do. Mm. I think that there were individual decisions that were made that were probably not the wisest and I think ultimately you're looking to your manager to be the person who kind of curbs those instincts um, and exerts some control doing that from a touchline in a full Anfield ain't easy I accept um, yeah but this is this is a this is um, I guess a lot of that would be training ground stuff to an extent yeah. when you talk about game states and when you prepare, prepare for, yeah. for certain game states like what happens if you know, this is the scenario, and that is not necessarily an unlikely scenario when you go to Anfield. You know what I mean? No. So it's about getting that message onto the pitch. 
I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I accept no one wants to bring negativity into it, but I'd be very surprised if being 2-0 down to Liverpool was not one of the scenarios, you, mm. permutations you considered um, going into the game. But, yeah, I, it, it was it was curious, actually, the degree to which... You know, if you said what was good about Arsenal's performance in the first half, I think you would have said, well, they weren't scintillating on the ball, but shape, structure... Mm organisation, commitment, those things were pretty solid in the in that first period and they really came apart of the seams somewhat in the second. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it was down to individuals slightly chasing mm. the game and the manager not having a grip on that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much more of the game needs analysis, to be honest. I know we... we brought on Odegaard for Lacazette and what was the final sub... Uh, Was there a final sub? So, Lukonga, Odegaard, mm. uh, El Nenny came on. Oh, yeah, yeah, El Nenny came on. For, I mean, that, that's completely irrelevant. Um, um, yes, because Partey uh, mm. came off. But, yeah, I think... No, I mean, listen, they, they killed us with the third and fourth goal. They've got the quality to do that. I thought there was some odd... I think Nuno, for example... On the third goal, should stick with Salah, but he goes towards the ball. Yeah. Um, yeah. On both. Yeah, it's really interesting to look at Tommy Asu's position, how high he is. After the fourth one, he sort of nearly gets back to Minamoto. And if you see, like, in the goal mouth, I think Ramsdale was less than pleased with mm. <laughs> where Tommy Asu's been. Yeah. Um, and it does sting. I mean, it must have stung him, I guess, to make uh, that many saves and concede four goals. Kind of a weird afternoon. Um, and yeah, it is a shame because it, it you you know, it, in the kind of annals of history that I think that performance and that result rather will be looked at and kind of just grouped with all the other heavy defeats. And, and personally, I think in the first half, there were reasons for encouragement and reasons to believe it might be different this time. Um but people yeah. will have differing views on that, I suspect. Well, sure, sure. It's, it's like I said, it's about trying to measure your progress. I think where where this game sits for me is like, okay, we're, we're not really capable of, of dealing with a team like Liverpool. Um, and we've got our own problems which can exacerbate uh, or, or, or highlight some of the quality that Liverpool have. You know, that lack of organisation, lack of compactness in the second half that, that we talked about. And those are things you can work on. You know, if I'm looking at it, if I'm trying to be positive about this, I'm going, well, look, this is the kind of game, the kind of atmosphere, the kind of intensity that, that a lot of these players won't have experienced before. Like, Sambi, um, I'm sure he's played in big games in Belgium, but, you know, Liverpool at Anfield, you know... There aren't many teams in Belgium as good as Liverpool. Same for Tommy Asu. Same for Nuno. Um, you know, these are these are young guys who hopefully can learn uh, from this game. And now it's about how much we allow this game to impact us. You know what I mean? So there was always going to be a setback. There was always going to be a bump in the road. There was always going to be a defeat. And... The question now is, how well can the team respond? Like, can they put this behind them? I'm not saying they have to uh, ignore this or forget about it because they do have to learn from this game. But 
how well can they respond in the next game? The next game, I think, couldn't really be any more kind when no, you're playing yeah. Newcastle at home. I'm not taking anything for granted, but if you were to pick a fixture, this is probably one of the ones that you would pick. You know, a team like Newcastle at home where you can really try and bounce back. Mm. So they can't defend Newcastle at all. I mean, they're, you know, conceded three at home to Brentford this mm. week. So it, it, you know, it should be a kind fixture, really. Mm. Um, I, I think it's an interesting question that degree of like, as fans, it's our prerogative if we choose to compartmentalise this result or not. I kind of think as a player, I, I sort of hope they do. That's not to say I hope they don't ever come back to it and they don't learn from it, but I hope they're able to sort of go, well, you know, we are still the people who went unbeaten for however many games and, you know, won these games. I, I sort of, you, you hope their confidence isn't um, bowed by it. Yeah, uh, like you don't want... Uh... You don't want one result to completely flip the switch from, okay, this is quite positive and encouraging to completely negative. You know, you can't allow that to happen. And I think when you look at the Premier League table, we're in fifth place, um, which is a decent place to be in. There has been good stuff in the last couple of months. But as Arteta said, we haven't done anything. Mm -hmm. And... While the Liverpool result on its own won't undo the positivity of the last couple of months and that that little run that we went on, the Liverpool game plus the Newcastle game plus the United game plus the Everton game might cast that in a new light, if you know what I mean. And we can't allow that to happen. We really have to be able to respond. Like, you can talk about inexperience, you can talk about mistakes, you can talk about those kind of things, the learning process, a young team playing together. All of those things are completely valid. But at the same time, you know, you have to show that you can you can learn quickly and not just sort of go make the same mistakes over and over again, you know? so I agree with that. I, I, for me, this game provided real um, clarity in a way because... I think it's uh, obvious that the top three teams in this league are on a different level to everybody else. Mm. I know, you know, West Ham can beat them and they'll have their days where they don't win games. But I really think that's kind of a, a mini league unto its own. Um, I think that Arsenal's job is to try and be the best of the rest. Um, and, and to be honest off the back of this game I don't I still think that's possible or at least to be in the mix for it and thus mm. get European qualification which has to be the aim this season you know I think um, my memory might be playing tricks but I said this in my post-match video but I seem to recall the kind of young Wenger teams of the post-Emirates era having a, a, some fairly humbling score lines away from home to big teams but their skill was that they were able to pretty much beat everybody else mm. um you know in that run that 10 game unbeaten run we kind of were flat track bullies and the reality is if we can be flat track bullies we'll probably be in the top six yeah that's that's a great point you know that that improvement that we need to make and have to make against the top teams may come at a later stage but if in the meantime you can beat these uh, the other teams in and around you and and the ones in the bottom half of the table then you put yourself in pretty decent position to to finish where well somewhere close to where you want to finish yeah i remember loads of games where it was like oh 
you know, they're men against boys and, you know, Arsenal don't know what it... They don't have enough experience, they don't have enough leaders, but they'd still, you know, beat West Brom and Villa and everybody else yeah. and be in the top four. Um, sorry, on, I mean, sorry. Th- there's, there was a thing I saw, um, a post uh, on a website called Planet Football, um, and it was the Premier League big six, in inverted commas, head-to-head table since Mikel Arteta joined Arsenal. Uh, Liverpool are top of that table with 37 points. Um, this is games between the the big six, obviously. Manchester City second on 33 points. Chelsea third on 29 points. Arsenal fourth on 23 points. United 21 points. Tottenham 20 points. So there is something, you know, we, we have had a decent record against uh, the bigger teams. And that was something that Arteta um, actually focused on a bit I think when he came in first to make us more competitive in those games it seems to have gone a little bit too far the other way at the moment so we do have to get that back yeah and I think I think he was trying to do something different at that point I think he was setting the team up in a very specific uh, way Mm. if you think back to the FA Cup run or we beat Liverpool in that period at the Emirates Stadium as well really sitting off them and um you know, trying to hit them on the break. And I think uh, we're trying to evolve the team, but in doing so, we've opened ourselves up to a certain degree of risk. And um, those those risks hurt us mm. uh, the other day. But I, but it's, yeah, I, I, you know, the United game and the Everton game mm. will feel... Um, Huge. Big, yeah. Mm. I, because, you know... Crystal Palace was a disappointing result in isolation, but really it's not that interesting to think of games in isolation. And you've you've got to think of them in terms of sort of groups or runs of performances. So, and you know, that Crystal Palace draw, ultimately we were like, well, it was okay because we won at Leicester or whatever it might be. Mm. I think if we look at kind of Liverpool, Newcastle, um, United, Everton as a little mini group of four and say, you know, what would be acceptable as a points tally from from that run of games. I think I, I think that's maybe a better way to think about it. And I think that that will also tell us a lot more about where this team is because mm. the, the United are much more of a direct competitor uh, for us at this point than, than Liverpool. Mm. Well, look, plenty ahead. Um, like we said, Newcastle coming up next and then those uh, two games, Everton and uh, Man United and Everton away in the space of four days. It's a Thursday, Monday vibe going on mm, there. So so that will certainly make it a bit interesting. Okay, look, we've got plenty to get through in part two. Loads of questions as well. So we will take a little break here, come back with those and more in part two right after this. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Just very quickly picking up on something that you mentioned towards the end of the um, the first half. There was a question here from good old Arsenal, who's at Aleppo. Morano. I don't know how to pronounce that. Aleppo Morano. Anyway, uh, he's on Twitter uh, uh, and he says, Good day, gentlemen. Brighton managed to score two against Liverpool at Anfield after going 2-0 down. Shouldn't we put ourselves to a higher standard and not give too much leeway to the team for ending the game with that 4-0 scoreline? I saw quite a number of, you know, comments and opinions about this. Like, you know, Arsenal got beaten 4-0, but what about West Ham? They won 3-2, and Brighton, they were 2-0 down, and they came back to 2-2 and could have won it, etc., etc. So, I mean, where, where, do you, where do you sit on that kind of thinking? I understand it. I, I see the point, certainly. Um, I think that it's really difficult to compare games. Like, I, I do think every game is different. You know, Watford beat United 4-1 the other day, um, and we beat... Watford 1-0 so should we beat United 5-1 like it, it feels like a sort of false equivocation sometimes yeah yeah um, I also think that for example with West Ham like that West Ham team is not an inexperienced team like that is a team of uh, men for the most part and I think that counts in their favour but yeah, equally I get it. Like Liverpool are not invulnerable and defensively um, they have struggled at times this season. But I think you'd have to say offensively, we have struggled. So we're perhaps not the best team to mm. put uh, pressure on a vulnerable defence. We, we don't do that against many teams. That's a really good point. That is a really good point. I don't know if we have any questions about this. Do we... I don't know if I have questions about goals and chances and things like that, but... Probably. The XG. Well, the XG is coming for us. Well, look, uh, you know, that's fine and dandy. Um, does that remain... I mean, for me, it remains a like a huge worry that, that we just don't take enough shots, score enough goals, make enough chances. And I know this is the most basic analysis of all time, but it... it I do worry about our ability to get where we think we need to go while this remains a fairly fundamental issue. So without without it being a question, I, I guess just a quick bit no, on I that think, I think it is. I think it is a, a really big topic. And um, do you know, I saw a great clip today from uh, of Ralph Ranick, everyone's favourite coach they don't really know anything about. Um, and he was talking about when he was at Red Bull Salzburg and they played a 4-2-3-1 and 
he was basically saying they had two... They realised they basically had two 30-goal strikers in Austrian football. Right. Um, they had Sadio Mane in that team as well, actually, playing sort of uh, off the wing, or as like a number 10. And they changed their system, essentially. They went to like a 4-2-2-2. It was an, an innovative move in Austrian football. Two central midfielders, two num- wide number 10s, mm. and two centre-forwards, and had an amazing success with that. And the reason I found it interesting and relevant is just I thought it, it's it's a great principle to say, um, well, the players with goals in them. It, it's so simple. It's like these guys will score goals. Mm. Therefore, we must construct a team that includes them. And Arsenal do not have the luxury <laughs> of having a problem like that. I mean, I think Pepe is kind of... The the Pepe discussion, I've got another question about it in a mm. moment, but I think that is part of it. You know, if you've got a guy who... If you don't score goals and you've got a guy who scores goals, do you have to get him in the team? Or do you have to just get more goal scorers? I know that there's a, I know that there's a big discussion of, like, system and does Arteta's system get the most out of these attackers and that is all valid but I would mm. also say that you know you look at Liverpool and you look at us and you look at their two wide forwards Mane and uh, Salah mm. and you look at Smith Rowe and Saka and you can see basically a decade of development separates them and also probably about 20 goals a season and you know People say playing with young centre-backs is going to cost you. And they're right about that. But they don't say often enough, playing with young forwards can cost you too. And people like Anelka or Messi, guys who come in and do it at 17, I think they are the exception that proves the rule. I think for the most part, you have to wait until later in a guy's development for them to become regular, reliable goal scorers. Mm. And and so part of me just worries, like, if you want to play Smith-Rowe and you want to play Saka, are, are you just, in your front four, are you just accepting that there's going to be a slight shortfall, numbers-wise? Maybe, I mean... It sounds look, harsh, given how well Smith-Rowe's done. Well, exactly. He's been scoring. Saka hasn't really scored this season. Um, I think he's won Premier League goal. And I understand why... I understand why Mikel Arteta picks Bakayo Saka, and I'm not being critical in any way of Bakayo Saka here. I think he's an amazing player and he's going to develop into something really, really brilliant. And I understand why a a coach who's a bit more structural, like Arteta, would pick Saka over Pepe in Mm. terms of how he wants his team to construct their, their football and their attacking moves. But at the same time, in leaving out Pepe, you've got a guy who was involved in, what, 20-odd goal involvements last season. I mean, there was a couple of questions. One from Eddie Longbridge who said, our goal difference is very bad. I had a, I had a look into this and realized we don't score enough goals. Um, good man, Eddie. Uh, he said, should Pepe be fitted into the lineup more or is his time coming to an end? And on the Discord... Andrew the Hinkley Gooner says, Hi, Andrew and James. I'd like to try Pepe in place of Lacazette. I've long been an advocate for playing Pepe as a second striker. His pressing is is, uh, underrated, as is his heading from goal kicks. He is lethal from around the edge of the box and a bigger goal threat than Lacazette. What do you think? Lacazette has been good, but he's leaving and he's only a 60-minute player. So 
Mm. How do you how do you solve a problem like Pepe? Well, I think we all agree that Pe- that well, maybe we don't. I think that Saka is better on the right than Pepe is. Um, you know, I, I always find it interesting that we always talk about how isolated uh, Pepe looks in that position, and you seem to never say that of Saka. Mm. Um, and I think that tells you a little bit about the way they play and the way they're able to make the most of that position. Uh, obviously, moving a player into like a new role is always uh, feels like a bit of a throw of the dice. You mm. know, we spoke about Colo Torre at, at, in central midfield as kind of this mythical thing that we just needed to unlock. I do wonder though about Pepe in this Lacazette role. And I, as I said in part one, I do have this feeling sometimes that when we start with Aubameyang and Lacazette, it's like there's a player missing who can come on for one of those guys and and uh, be a threat. And mm. I I do wonder if he might be the closest thing we have uh, to that. So, yeah, I'd like to see it, but I can't, I, I have to be honest, I don't think that will happen. Okay, but how much do you think the, I mean, it feels a bit, you know, with, with, um, with Pepe, and I'm not saying he can't make a contribution, but it feels a bit like if you're looking to Pepe for the solution, it's sort of like people saying on on Saturday, you know what? You know what would have made a real difference to Arsenal? Granit Xhaka. If we'd had Granit Xhaka at Anfield on Saturday, would have been... Do- and it's like... Well, just you wait till we get to the Thomas Partey question. Well, uh, we're getting I'll be there. getting out my drum, my Granit Xhaka-shaped drum. We're getting there. But look... It feels a bit like that, that the 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 solution is a problem that you've forgotten you had, in a way, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, but you know also, what I mean? when the window's closed and you've oh, yeah, got yeah. games, you've got to work with what's available. I agree. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that. I, I accept that. You've got to work with what you have. And I think... Part of what worries me is I feel like some of the some of the issues are just too fundamental to the way Arteta wants to play. Like it could be a case, James, that we get one player in, and I'm thinking something similar to what Bruno Fernandez did at Manchester United. You know that way mm-hmm. the the impact he had there was incredible. Um, he's a, a player I, I dislike, but you can't deny. Um, what he brings to that team in terms of goals, et cetera, et cetera, that maybe there is one player, a specific player, a specific a specific type of player who could come in and maybe unlock us and give us a kind of attacking freedom or, or, or liberate this team from an attacking sense. But I'm not sure. I just feel, I don't know who it is. Well, and maybe he's on the bench. Yeah, I mean, but, we bought Martin Odegaard, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, I would have him back in the team, to be honest, because I think we need somebody with with a, with a little more creativity and a little more craft. But it, it just feels like some of the attacking pieces that Arteta has, he doesn't particularly believe in. Like Pepe, we can see that, that there are issues there with him, right? And there have been throughout the time that he's been at the club. There have been periods where he's been good. There's been periods where he's been left out of the team, even as much as being left out of the team for a fat old guy from Chelsea last year. You know, when it was quite obvious the fat old guy was useless, he still couldn't get back in the team ahead of the fat old guy. Um, Aubameyang is what he is. He's 32 years of age. He is what he is as a player. And we keep asking him to do things which aren't necessarily his strength. Lacazette, similarly, 
He's not being offered a new contract. He's not part of the future. He's not part of the plans, but we're using him, et cetera, et cetera. So this idea that maybe some of the attacking pieces aren't quite what Arteta wants. At the same time, though, he has to get this team scoring goals. He has to get this team making chances. He has to maybe address issues where in the second half he can bring players on who can change a game, who can give us more attacking momentum. And I, I feel like I, I, I have, I'm a bit cautious about that. I said to somebody on Twitter today, it feels, you know, like everything's got to be just right for Arteta ball to work, if you want to call it that. You know what I mean? There isn't much room for chaos. There isn't much room for just like fucking go for it, which maybe is against the way he coaches, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes you need a bit of that. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. I think that structure is a, a big part of it. Um, I just also think there is a personnel problem in terms of having enough goal scorers in the squad. And the thing is, I'm not even sure that I, that my solution is like, therefore, let's buy loads of goal scorers because Saka and Smith-Rowe, and Smith Rose already doing this to an extent, you're hoping are going to become those players. But that isn't going to be today and it might not be tomorrow. Mm. Like, if you give Jurgen Klopp that Arsenal 11, I'm not sure it makes Saka a 20 goal player. But he needs to get there for him to be what we need him to be. And that might take time. Mm. That's, that's sort of the, the conundrum. It's like how long? Like, how long are we prepared to to wait with these guys as well? And and what you can do is you can change the centre forward, you can bring in a number ten, you can add another central midfield player, mm. and maybe that unlocks it all. But I still think there's going to be a process of kind of maturation for some of these attacking yeah. players that we're going to have to sit sit with. Yeah, I mean, look, if you win a load of games one nil or 2-0, or 2-1, or whatever it might be, at the end of the day, you, you're you probably going to end up in a, an, in a reasonable position. It's just that the margins are so tight that you can't keep no. winning games by the odd goal. You know what I mean? You have to be able to uh, control games. And I, I think where, where I... Where I also need to see something is when a game is going against us and our ability to turn that game back around in our favour. We haven't seen anywhere near enough of that as well. Mm. But Yeah, exactly. And I don't think anyone's asking for that at Anfield, but I think no. um, there are other instances, certainly. Um, well, what about this? I mean, you mentioned Odegaard, but Swayze and Sultan on Twitter said, uh, hi guys, what changes, if at all, would you make for the next match against Newcastle? Um, and then uh, P. Mohan said, is it time to give Odegaard a run in the team? Yes. I would have Odegaard in the team ahead of Lacazette. I would have Tierney back in the team. Um... for Newcastle I'd probably stick with Laconga just because I feel like maybe you want to get that out of the system yeah maybe away. there's some development going on there as well that these minutes that he's getting are, are going to be beneficial to him you know what I mean um, 
Like it's, I still, it's still feel that Maitland Niles. Yeah, I was going to say it, it feels like Lukonga is much more of part of the long term plans than Maitland Niles. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. So you know, put the put the yards into him now. I mean, I wouldn't change the centre forward. I don't think, even though we do have like a load of questions. Or there was one question about Aubameyang, but I would, I would play Aubameyang, but I'd make sure that I've got Odegaard in there as well. Um. Beyond that, I don't know that I would change. I would change anything. I mean, maybe Pepe Frasaka wouldn't be a huge risk in a game like that, but I think he'll play Saka. Um, but that's that's about it. I think I don't know what else I could realistically change about the team. I know people will say play Martinelli up front, but Martinelli's had a couple of games up front and. Hasn't been particularly impressive. What I would like to see is, you know, if the game isn't going our way or if the game has gone our way, those players getting a few more minutes than just sort of six minutes at the end or three minutes or whatever it might be, you know? Mm, yeah, that would be good. I mean, it's it's tricky with sort of one game a week for these guys to to get minutes and stay sharp enough to compete. Um yeah, I would agree with most of those changes. Definitely, I'd bring Tierney in. Definitely, I'd bring Odegaard in. Even if it doesn't work, I feel like this is a game where we can afford to have a look at it and you know mm. see what how that helps us. Um, I, I also think there is a real benefit to being able to take Aubameyang off and bring Lacazette on, or even sometimes vice versa. I just think that you know you need mm. goals from the bench too. Um, so yeah, they're the obvious ones. Maybe Maitland Niles, but I suspect it might be Sambi. Mm. But you know, we shall see. Do you want to ask me about Thomas Partey? Yeah, okay. Here's a couple of questions about Thomas Partey. West Antone says, "Has Thomas Partey looked like a fifty million cash up front midfielder to either of you?" And on the Discord, Conrad P says, is Partey actually a worse signing than Pepe? With Pepe, we've seen flashes of brilliance and quite a few goals and assists. With Partey, we've had a few good games, many more mediocre ones, some real stinkers and a lot of injuries. Uh, Given how good Maitland-Niles has been in that position, should we just drop Partey for Maitland-Niles like we dropped Pepe for Saka? Um, Yeah, where do you stand? Lots of questions like this. Uh, Loads of questions about Thomas Partey and you know, how his Arsenal career has gone so far. So part of the reason I I watched the game again, actually, was to try and understand this. And and do you know, it's funny, at half time in the game, I think I tweeted one thing and I said, you know, Arsenal are doing okay, but if they're going to get anything from this game, they need more from central midfield. Yeah, I think I said the same thing. yeah. Yeah, and... I'm I'm very sympathetic to how difficult it is to play in central midfield against Liverpool. Like I don't think there are many tougher tasks, especially when with Lacazette in there, you're almost outnumbered to be honest because he's not really a, a midfield player. Um and, and Liverpool really pushed party like they were very clear they didn't want Arsenal to play out through party so there were often three or four players around him they wanted Arsenal to go out through Tommy Asu or Tavares and other other teams do that too everybody if you're preparing to face Arsenal you know right well don't let them give it to party and let him turn and drive forward in the middle of the pitch so that is part of the problem that he is encountering mm. but that doesn't fully explain everything you know like switching off slightly on the set piece or allowing Mane to run the back off the back of him and Arteta having to scream at him from the touchline. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I'll do my shack a bit now, just because. <laughs> I, 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 I feel like it's almost like a, he's a bit of a dirty word, Granite Shaka, among Arsenal fans. Like it's almost like we 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 really want to believe it doesn't matter that he's not there, but it matters to party. It might not matter to us, but I really think it matters to Partey. And that doesn't mean to say Chaka is the only player who can work well with Partey. I mean, we saw Elneny play very well with Partey against Old Trafford. And it may be that there's somebody in the transfer market who we can bring in who can be that guy moving forward. But I think he needs a proper grown-up partner to be at his best. I just think he does. I just think that's his personality. And I think it also... When that's not the case, the opposition are allowed to focus on him so much that it's very difficult for him to be the player we want him to be. Hmm. I think that's uh, a fair point. Um, I think the point about it being difficult to play against Liverpool uh, is is a really good one. I had a look at the stats. I think Partey's pass completion was something in the region of 94%. So he was very mm-hmm. tidy on the ball. It's just he didn't do a great deal with it. But um, it was about getting the ball yeah, as well. Like, yeah. we couldn't get it to him enough, you know? No, I get that. I get that. I also can see why um, he would benefit from a more experienced player alongside him. I understand mm-hmm. that too. But I also think when you're a 28-year-old, £50 million signing that there is also a, a degree of responsibility is not quite the right word, but you know, you, you're one of the senior guys in the team and I'm not saying he has to carry Sambi or he has to carry Maitland Niles, which I, you know, I don't think he needs to do per se, but I also feel like since he arrived, my general sense of Thomas Partey in an Arsenal shirt is, is very underwhelming. It is on. Yeah. It's you know that's just how I feel about it. I don't think we have seen yet what we thought we were going to get from Thomas Partey. You know, apart from the odd game, and there are reasons slash excuses, however you want to say it. You know, but that's part of what can make a signing underwhelming or not particularly successful if they can't stay fit. Might not Definitely. be their fault, but it doesn't mean the signing is any less underwhelming. You know what I mean? And that's where I am with, with him now, that I really want to see more from him. I hope he can stay fit. I hope he can start to deliver, um, you know, because he's a really talented player, but I I haven't seen anywhere near what I thought we were going to get from Thomas Partey. Yeah, and, and for all the uh, caveats I've offered, I would agree with that. And I think... People are very quick to say, well, you know, he's maybe he's not quite fit. And it's like, when are we going to be able to not say that? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, it, honestly, it feels like he's always carrying an injury or coming back from an injury. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh there, but it, it does feel like it's a kind of, there's a persistent niggle there. And I and I, my heart is in my mouth watching him for when the next one might come. Mm. And... Um, I also think there's a question of kind of responsibility. Like, I made this point on um, Handbrake Off, so apologies for anyone who's sort of doubled up, but it's really interesting when you speak to people around the first team about leaders in the dressing room that 
they'll say Aubameyang and Lacazette, the big characters, mm. or they might say, oh, Gabriel or Ramsdale, they're kind of taking up the baton for the young guys, Tierney. It's really interesting that nobody mentions the 28-year-old, £40 million central midfielder. And I don't say this to criticise him, really. I just think that isn't who he is. He's a laid-back guy, and there's a that can be a blessing. But I think because of the money we paid for him and because of the expectation that came with that, I think we look to him to, to be that, to kind of be the talisman. And, I, and that's why I say I think he needs a partner, because I'm not sure on his own he is that uh, character. Hmm. But uh, I mean, you can't make somebody into something they're not. You know what I mean? No, no. And I think we might be slightly... But... At you the know, is, same, there, is there the ghost of Patrick Vieira looming here? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, in terms yeah. of our expectations. I, I know what you mean. But at the same time, when you are one of the senior guys in a team, it yeah. feels like it should be natural. And look, I don't mean he has to go out there and like bash his chest and like sure. hit the badge and all, you know, all the pumping pointing. fists. Matthew and Flamini likes pointing. Yeah, exactly. It? You know, Flamini's version of leadership didn't get us very far either, you know. But yeah, it's, I suppose he must know himself as well that he hasn't been I mean how long has it been now a, a season coming up for a season and a half yeah it, ju- it just feels like yeah he's not quite got going um, and when you think about the question of like how does you assess the signing when you think about what we paid and the age of the player we did that needing fa- wanting fast results yeah and for various reasons, we've not had that with any great consistency. Um, Do you think when we signed Thomas Partey, we had envisaged him being quite as senior a figure as we need him to be, if you know what I mean? So this £50 million signing, I mean, when you buy a 28-year-old, or he was 27 at the time, you expect them to come in like 50 million pounds experienced international played for Atletico Madrid played you know won the league um, Champions League player all that kind of stuff you're buying an oven ready player yeah right but do you think we necessarily expected the age profile of the team to change quite as dramatically as it did there thereby putting a lot more responsibility on him yeah, casting him into this slightly yeah. unexpected role of kind of uh, dad <laughs> to this group. Mm. Um, probably not. I don't think you can make any argument that this was always the plan. Otherwise, we would have done things very differently in those windows. Um, we signed Thomas Partey in the same, same window we signed Willian, you know? Yeah. Uh, so... I don't think we anticipated the degree and the nature of the change that would happen. Mm. Um, no, no. And I, the thing is, he absolutely has the talent to make this conversation look very foolish in what remains of his time with Arsenal. I hope so. Um, yeah, I think he does, but... It's about consistency of delivery. You know, we all remember the game at Old Trafford where he was just absolutely astonishing. And there have been other occasions like that, but they they are... 
They're the exception rather than the rule, and we need the rule to be a bit more um, consistent. I mean, that's the reality is whatever we want to talk about with Thomas Partey, we can feel that he's been underwhelming, and I think he has been. But the reality is that we need him to be better if we're going to achieve what we hope this team can achieve. Simple as that, because without midfield control, too many games are going to get away from us. Um, So Yeah. And I, I, I really believe that um, Odegaard and Partey might be an important sort of connective link within this team. Um, and I suspect that the introduction of one may help the other. Um, I, I think I said that a few weeks ago, that I, uh, you know, the way that when he does play well and the way that Partey looks to get the ball forward... I think suits Odegaard because he's in those pockets. He's in those areas when Partey likes to play that vertical pass. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. But I think, uh, yeah. you know, we, we've got, you know, Arteta's kind of stumbled into the Lacazette thing over the last couple of weeks. But, you know, when you think about it, we've got a £50 million central midfielder and a £35 million attacking midfielder, central attacking midfielder slash number 10 that we have invested heavily in that we need to make work. And I think the sooner we give that a chance, well, I, I was going to say the better we'll be. We don't know if we'll be the better, but but when you make those kind of purchases, you're hoping that these guys are going to become fundamental uh, parts of your team. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when Edu and Arteta sat down towards the end of the transfer window and did their little diagram of the squad and the team, they probably envisaged Thomas Partey playing in a midfield three or, you know, two plus one with Granit Xhaka and Martin Odegaard. Mm. And at the moment, he's not playing with either of them. And I think that is contributing to uh, some of the problems that mm. he is having. But I, I still think that there is responsibility on him to do more and we're going to need more from him. You know, there are games coming up that look tough Old Trafford yeah. uh, as bad as they've been they might be recovering by then Everton are also on a bad run so doubtless they'll win this weekend to turn things around just yeah, yeah. visit of course um, <laughs> um, and we all need him in a big way because Lukonga Maitland-Niles Elneny they're the guys that you know we've got to pick from at the moment and they all have strengths and some are much more exciting than others for reasons of what they might go on and do but um Clearly, the onus is on Partey in that part of the pitch. Mm. Yep. Uh, yeah. Pepe, that was the question. Done that, um, one. done that one. We've done quite a lot of the ones I was going to do. If you've got any to have, yeah. let me... A couple of quick ones to finish because we've been going Go a on, while. Then. So, um, from the Discord, Mark Nellis says, what would you say an acceptable points return for our remaining seven games of the year might be? So just, yeah, because we looked, we did this, uh, you know, the, we did this, the, for the last little run where Mm. we looked at it, looked at it. And I think we said maybe 18 points would have been pretty decent. And in the end we got 20. So just to sort of lay it out, the remaining seven Premier League games of this calendar year are Newcastle at home, Man United away, Everton away. Southampton at home, West Ham at home, Leeds away, mm. Norwich away, and Wolves away. Is that... No, Wolves home, actually. Wolves home. That's eight games, actually. 
That's eight. So we've got points. eight games, 24 points to play for. What do you think a reasonable return from those games would be? Depends on your definition of reasonable. I think if we take um, eight games, right? Mm. I guess I basically think we need to win five. Um, and it kind of doesn't really matter what happens in the rest. Like, if we win five, we'll still be in the mix, in my opinion. So I guess that would be 15. So I'd say, say like 17 points, I'd say that's pretty good. Right. So, I mean, that would have us on th- 35 points after 20 yeah. games. Yeah. Which I don't think would keep us as close to the mix as we would like. Do you think? Yeah. So what do you think they need to take? I mean, I I mean three more points. I'm talking about 18 from 24. Yeah. I guess it, it it really depends on how you achieve the points as well. Like if you get battered by in one of the games and you win all the rest. Yeah, you know I mean, I mean? so like the three you could go unbeaten. Makes... You could go unbeaten and have eight points. You know, that's so. what I mean. Like Arsenal could go to Everton and United and get two draws mm. and be like, "Oh, we're unbeaten. That's really good." But but it might be more valuable in some ways to take three points from one, especially if it's United. Well, yeah, um, United and West Ham in particular are are really interesting games. Um, you know, Everton, I think, is going to be tricky. United, who knows? Just who knows what you get with United? And, uh, I mean, frankly, Ronaldo f- frightens me because, you know... Of course, the inevitability of inevitable. his fucking big thick neck fucking celebrating yeah. as we score as he scores a goal against us is just too he has much. He's been kryptonite to us in the past. Yes. Uh, so I, I worry about that one. Mm. Um, but Newcastle, you're looking for a win. Everton, I think we're capable of winning. Yeah, we should be looking to win that game. Southampton, we should win as well. West Ham, going to be a very tough game because they're a very big physical team who are playing well. But, you know, it's one of those home games. When you look at it on paper, you're going, you know. I think we could win that game. Yeah. Leeds away. They're not great this season. They're not. Um, Norwich away. Norwich, we should be looking to win, of course. course. And Wolves at home, we should be looking to win. Yeah. So, so it's there. It's yeah, there, yeah, yeah. We'll see. It, okay. I, I think also when I say in the mix, it, it all depends what you're, what you consider the mix. You know, I think there is a kind of underlying debate mm. in this season of, well, is fourth up for grabs and are Arsenal a realistic contender for fourth? Which is a bit of a sort of surprise conversation because I think most people assumed top six is the best we can hope for and the mm. United with the money they've spent would be a nailed on team for top four. Yeah. Um, that's not the case. And so Arsenal are sort of being assessed as a potential top four team. In my head, I still think top six is, is probably what we're going for. But some I, would say that's... I think that's I think that's more reasonable than 
top four, even though we're only three points away from the top four. I just, you know, for all the things we've talked about, you know, this yeah. team, its development, the lack of goals, et cetera, et cetera, I find it hard to think that we'll keep up with that. But I, you know, obviously I hope we do. And it's it's much nicer to be in the position where, you know, it's, it's a possibility, however vague that oh, might be. It would so. be great. Yeah. It'd be it fantastic be to jump back into the Champions League straight away. That'd yeah. be brilliant. Okay, final, final question here. It comes from the Discord. Mm. It comes from Bouncy Sean. <laughs> and he says, rate Josh Cronkey's dancing at an audience with Adele. I don't know if you've seen the clip. Have you seen the clip? I've, I've seen like a two-second clip. I, that's all I saw is. some of an audience with Adele, but I didn't see the Josh Cronkey bit live, but someone sent it to me. I mean, he's having a, a lovely time. Um, I don't know. He's got the best seat in the house. What is going on with this? I took a screenshot of it. It's bizarre. It's like, you know the guy um, who does the, the amazing political... Uh, pictures Cold War Steve it's a oh, yeah. bit like that in its surrealness because Josh Kroenke is there front and centre with Samuel L. Jackson to one side of him yeah then there's Stormzy and everybody was there it was Gareth crazy. Southgate was, was is in the background there's probably loads of famous people that I don't recognise because I'm just too it old and don't was out with famous yeah. people yeah and like but, but Josh Kroenke's not really famous in this country so so what's going on what's like the Money buys you everything, I guess. Yeah, but what, what's the what's the, the the connection there? Like, how does Josh Cronkey get invited to an Adele thing? Like, do well, they do uh, they have a personal relationship? Hello, Josh, it's me, Adele. Come to my party. I'll I sing wonder, a song for you. I don't know any Adele songs. Oh, I do know one song. It's that that one that sounds like Vic Reeves. Which one's that? You know, Vic Reeves doing the cabaret singer. You know that one? Sure, 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 sure. I don't remember what it's called. Well, maybe there's a whole episode of uh, Arsenal All or Nothing, which is about Josh Cronkey trying to get into the Adele gig. Um, You know, maybe that (laughs) instead of uh, showing Arsenal's 4-0 defeat at Anfield, they're just going to show highlights of Josh Cronkey's dancing. Uh, at the Adele concert. Bizarre. And she's Who a Spurs knows? fan as well. You told me she's a Spurs she's fan. She's a big Spurs fan. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. I know. Dear, oh dear. Fold the club, etc., etc., etc. I mean, the thing about it is, you know, Spurs fans and music just doesn't work, does it? Chaz and Dave. Chaz and Phil Dave. Phil Collins. All is the other Spurs ones. Fan? Yeah. Is Phil Collins a Spurs fan? Yeah. I'm pretty sure I read that. Either I either feels like something you've created in your mind to you know. I mean, it makes sense. Phil Collins, Spurs fan. I'm just googling that. Music star Phil Collins helps Tottenham legend. I don't know who which the legend is. Jimmy Greaves, with a sizable donation. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure Phil Collins is a Spurs fan, which tells you a lot. A lot. Wow! 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 wow. All right. Um, well, let's leave it there. We do have a big game on Sunday against Newcastle. We will preview that later in the week. Saturday. Saturday, 12.30. Yes. Correct. Sorry. Uh, so, yeah, we'll talk about that uh, a bit later in the week. For now, though, we'll leave it there. As ever, thank you very much indeed for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 